If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Explorinate Podcast. Hey folks, and welcome back to Explorminate. This week, I'm joined by Drexy. Hey Ben, how's it going? Not bad, sir. How are you? Uh, you know, just woke up and stuff, as usual. <laughs> it's not even a, a really late hour this time, so Drexy just keeps funny hours. And uh, this week, joining us, we've also got Daz Tactic. Hey, welcome guys, or hello guys. <laughs> not welcome. <laughs> Well, you are, you are definitely welcome, and I hope we are too. <laughs> and uh, we've also got Tortuga Power. Yeah, I'd like to welcome you all. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> to, to your own podcast. Wow, yeah, welcome, welcome, guys. Welcome to your podcast. <laughs> Relax. Have a sleep if you want, Brexy. Yeah, I probably will, actually. <laughs> well, we, you might need to. This this might be a longer one, because the last time we did a podcast about Distant Worlds 2, it was quite a long one. But so, so this time, what we're talking about is our thoughts on the release of Distant Worlds 2, because this is a big game for us at Explorinate. Everybody's really been anticipating it in a big, big way. It was definitely the top of my most anticipated games of the year list. And I know Drexy felt the same way. And, you know, that's echoed right across, across the community. So the game has launched. We've all had a few weeks with it. And we just want to have a bit of a chat and just kind of figure out how we feel about it. You know, what, what went on with the launch, where the game is at and where it's going. So, I mean, does anyone want to start us off with your impressions of the game? Uh, I don't mind if you like. It's sort of, for me, it, I've thoroughly enjoyed the game. There are still frustrations with the game, though. So it's one of those things where I'm sort of probably at, at about 90% uh, enjoyment and 10% frustration. There's still a lot of little things in the game that, the little quality of life things that need to be improved. You know, they are working on them. I'm, I'm surprised, at, or actually impressed with how, how much they've been able to actually get done in the since since launch with uh, trying to sort of address the different problems that people have been having. I know that the uh, the devs are so so tired after sort of getting ready for launch, and now they they've still got to keep on keeping on sort of just working their their asses off, essentially trying to get the uh, get you know just fix things up, essentially. So there's just, I think there's still a lot of work ahead of them. But um, yeah, so it's been one of those things where I think that the uh, personally I think the game should have gone into early access and not as a full-blown launch. So that's sort of, I guess, a rough sort of position of where I am. That's sort of where my head is at, that it's more of an early access game at this stage than a, um, a full-blown launch. Uh, what about you, Draxy? I'd say I'm more maybe 70, 30. Um, I, I actually didn't have much crashes like a lot of people have. I never had problems with the resolution and stuff. 
Yep, the main issue which I'm still kind of having is once you get to a certain point in the game, a lot of the like fleet icons and stuff like that just aren't updating at all for me sometimes. So I move a fleet and I just can't tell whether they're moving or <laughs> they kind of get frozen. So yeah, but other than that, I mean, the UI is gorgeous. Um, I would, to be honest, I would have been just happy if they took Distant Worlds Universe and slapped that UI on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I'm feeling basically the same way as Das. There's uh, little things. I think there's also this whole mentality that I've been playing this game for basically a whole year now because I was in the beta, and it's it's gone through a lot of like ups and downs in that, and mostly ups, by the way. But I mean, there's been little things like originally the game was actually pretty frustrating to play, and now that it's um, released, when you have this vision of what the release will look like. You, you really obviously hope it'll be bug-free and it'll be perfect. And this is just a target no game can can really hit. So, of course, as you get closer to the release date and you see that, first of all, you, you usually give as a beta tester your best feedback only closer to the release when you're like, okay, these like basic things are figured out and I played the game long enough to really know what things are starting to really irk me. And, of course, when you get feedback that late, the developers can't pivot um, in order to incorporate it in time. So then you're, the, there's the ends up being this disconnect. At first, it's like they're fixing bugs, things that are obvious they need to fix. But then there's a, you end up kind of diverging from the developers where it's like, okay, now I, I, wanna, I want more preference-oriented changes. And they start working on other things, which you know just aren't your preference because it's your preference. It's not, it's not the game. To, <laughs> they have their own vision. They're the game designers. I think I'd give the game like a nine out of 10 right now, but the reason it's not a 10 out of 10, this one out of 10 missing is, is a lot of preference things. Performances. I'm, I'm just, I know that they're going to fix the performance issues. So I'm not worried about that. Mm, yeah. Okay. So the way that I feel about it is that there seems to be, there's bugs and then, then there's design issues. That's roughly the way to split the complaints I have about the game. A good way of thinking about it, actually. Sorry. I just want to do give you a pat on the back because that actually really is a good way of actually of, of splitting the uh, the different issues actually maybe we should even i mean go ahead but uh, that's a, that would be a good way for us to even sort of maybe talk about you know for, for this podcast sure i mean I, the reason why i think about it like that is this i'm confident that the bugs are going to be fixed that's something that they've got to do and they will design issues are something different and that's a case of whether they also agree with the issues that i have with regards to the way that the game's designed now I don't want to be a backseat games designer. I'm not really qualified and I like to talk about games design, but I'm, you know, I'm not somebody who should be taken too seriously when I do. For the moment, I think the the pressing issue for people is the bugs. Just to just to go back to my what I thought about the launch. Um I also I don't think Matrix and Slytherin do um early access, but I think that what they they either needed to do some kind of early access or they needed to increase the size of the beta testers team so that they incorporated more varied games development system you know uh, so computer systems into their testing process some people don't get any problems and some people do and just to quickly address what you know the way the community has responded to this there seems to be uh, i mean i'm talking personally here now a growing intolerance from the gaming community towards um you know games not being released in a pristine state and they seem to be and i'm, I'm not attacking the community in any way but i'm just making an observation i feel that particularly on Steam, people seem to be holding new games to this kind of imaginary gold standard that has never, ever existed in games development before. And well, I, I really... 
agree. I think it has. I think it has. Like back before, like back in the nineties, you know, like you had to release games fully ready to go. You did, but they, uh, but they, they still didn't. You know, there were still bugs. I mean, look, like Master of Orion two is still being patched <laughs> for by by the community. You know, so I think they they were never really perfect. But I understand community. Uh, you know, gamers are getting upset, like with you know what they see as shoddy releases, and I understand that. There's a lot of salty people at the moment being, you know, really not very happy with the way that the Distant Worlds 2 is released. I think that's an understatement. At the same time, we saw this with Warhammer 2, uh, Warhammer 3, sorry. And the, you know, honestly, that game is not in the worst state. People are just annoyed about the game, but people seem to not be able to separate the bugs from the design issues, from the fact that they're fatigued from, you know, watching too much of games, you know, on YouTube before they even start. There's so much stuff that can go into criticism. So I don't know, like, I think it's really important to stress there are people who cannot play this game at the moment. They're just getting too many crashes. So we mustn't, you know, I'm not going to do any of this world, you know, it worked okay for me. So, you know, that's not really helpful. At the same time, for for the people who can't play it, just understand that there are people who can, right? So the game, the game isn't, you know, like literally unplayable, as some people say, for everybody, right? So there's nuance to this. Everybody's got their own you know opinion on it and everyone's had a different experience and that's got to be a nightmare for the developers to try and figure out yeah i mean i'm not really talking about my experiences with the game i've enjoyed it for when i've been able to play it the last couple of patches have really fixed it for me so i'm able to play it again and i'm loving it but there are some certain issues that i'm sure we can talk about i think the reason why matrix and slivering don't want to do early access is because it's kind of what you were saying people even (laughs) expect early access games to be almost perfect so you know, your your game could get a bad score even before it's released and that's kind of hard to pull back. And this is why I understand a lot of devs now are doing their early access on Epic. So by the time it gets to Steam, all that's ironed out and they don't get review bombed. Well, I think that when you do do that with Epic, you, you also really diminish the, your actual game. I think that like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of games that actually have... Um, so I'm glad that they're not doing that, to be honest, because... I think that when when you get those Epic exclusives, I think I saw there's a few games that have done their early access essentially through Epic, and it it hasn't helped their bottom line at all. When they do get to Steam, it's already like it's people don't like uh, that exclusive. Um, I'm just trying to think. There was one of the one of the devs actually had had put their game on there for the early access for for about a year. I think they gave Epic a, an exclusive, and it really ended up hurting their. Like it, it, they got money because at least Epic paid them, but and they so they sort of had to do it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking which game it was. One of really respected game designer sort of put put his game out through there, and um, and look, it was successful financially because Epic paid them, but it's um, but it wasn't really what you'd call a you know a successful game because people didn't play it. Uh, what the what the actual game was but anyway. That's. <laughs> I was just it was it when I when I saw about it I was thinking oh that's interesting take at least like they had to do it because they needed the money so they did it but then in the end it just meant that like they were okay because they got the money for the game but they didn't actually get the game itself didn't wasn't sort of like the world beater they thought it was going to be because all of the explosive power of sort of doing a release and things like that had all been diminished because because it had been released that way yeah there's a lot of people who really do not like epic um, I don't like the storefront. Uh, I'm I'm kind of ambivalent to the fact that it's. I think people don't like that it's Chinese owned and all this, and there's there's yeah, political reasons, and you know, and uh, I understand like there's you know people have got problems with it. Well, I, I've kind of got to the point where I don't really care now anymore. I think you know there are people. I, I know people who still absolutely refuse to use Steam, Fred yeah. Flintstone yeah. types, and it's just like you know, okay, fair enough. Anyway, um, to go back to Distant Worlds two, 
I'm interested to know what what have you your experiences with the game been since launch? Then how have you been have you been enjoying playing the game? I have, but unlike you, free, I did. I wasn't in the beta, so you know it's all quite new to me. <laughs> so I've actually have been enjoying them. Um, of course, we've had bugs and stuff, and I've I've also found every time it, it patches, it's better to kind of just restart a game. The performance seems to be a lot better when that. But so far, I'm enjoying it. One thing I wasn't sure I was going to like was the new ship design. I'm sure we can get into this later on, but I've actually quite enjoyed it, and I think it's actually a lot better. And it's a lot easier to like the way they've color coded stuff, and it's a lot easier to quickly just put a ship together as well now. Directly, I have a question: Did you watch a lot of content before release, or when the release came and you bought the game, was that? like a very like almost a completely new experience for you uh, it was pretty much a new experience for me i didn't really watch that much i think i watched a couple of videos but not not to a huge extent sort of thing i didn't watch like a whole series of videos okay that's interesting i mean just because a lot of people watched a lot of content beforehand so they were kind of it's almost like they had played the game so it's it's nice to hear a very fresh perspective uh, one more thing i'd actually I was very unsure about how the game looked, especially the 3D models, because, of course, all I saw was, like, screenshots and odd videos of it. But seeing it on my own computer, I, I actually like the, the 3D models on it now. I know I complained on previous podcasts about, Ugh, I'm not sure about this, but having the game on my own system now, and I'm kind of glad it's not more detailed, because obviously that'd be even more of a resource hog. Since launch, I've been doing a lot of live streaming and also a bit of recording. It's funny today. I realised uh, when I was when I, I set up, up a new game playing as a Xenox today, and um, I realised I'm probably never ever going to click on the play with story events ever again. Like I think I, I think I've done with that, and that's sort of funny because it really um, it's almost sort of sad because I'm thinking it's too it's too much like a, a, strip, a scripted campaign for me. And as soon as I turn that off, I really, really love the game again because it's all sorts of weird and wonderful things can happen. I don't know if you've felt the same thing with your experience, but that's that's been a big thing for me is actually like realizing that I'm done with the uh, story events now. That's um, done and dusted as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I find the game so much more enjoyable without them. But having said that, when I first started playing it, they, they were good because they sort of eased you into the like like doing a campaign. For each faction, it sort of it it's gave you a scripted way to sort of get into the into each faction. But I don't know. For me, I would now find them really boring. Yeah, as I said before, I sort of really do think the game should have been early access simply because there are so many mechanics in the game that still have to be fleshed out. Like there's no there's no dedicated modding system yet, and for me, that's a really important part of what the launch should be. You know, being able to allow modders to um, either use Steam Workshop or some other way of of actually being able to really sort of put their mods into place. So. Like the modding thing hasn't impacted the way that I play. There's still certain things, like for example, if you build a ship that has got longer range point defense than your main weapons, and you tell them to go after something that's stronger than the ship, they won't close in to the even even on aggressive. And that for me is a massive problem. For me personally, it means that I can design a fleet of ships and have them basically completely useless. And so I've got, they've got to strip them all back away from the uh, you know from wherever they're fighting retrofit them back so that we end up with shorter range point defense then send them back in again so i know these things will be fixed but i don't know there's they're the sorts of things that you you do like on a full launched game that's why i sort of am, i'm quite uh, i'm thinking the people who are frustrated with the game in its current state as a full launch game i do sympathize with that i love the game i know it's going to be fixed but 
for me, it's not it's not good enough for a full launch game to have those sorts of issues in it. To be honest, no, I agree. I think the game's not quite there yet, but it's it's definitely better than some of the releases that we've had with four X games. And if we look at if we put the bugs aside, I've enjoyed it. My problem is because um, this is kind of what Eric was saying as well. Because I've been beta testing it a lot, and I've been work, I've been trying to keep up with what the developers have been asking us to kind of help out with as much as I can. And um, that's really been taking up my time for an energy to play. So I've actually yet to get into the late game with uh, since release. I've really just not had a chance. I've just been trying to help them, you know, figure out some of these frame frame uh, FPS drop issues and, you know, graphics issues and that sort of thing. So I've just been trying to kind of like bug test that. So I haven't really had time to, to play it. Like I'm not sick of these scripted story stuff like you are because I, I haven't seen most of them um, apart from the stuff that I've seen during testing. So I'm still playing with those on, but I turn them off eventually. It's funny. Um, I, I'm taking it then, Daz. You don't play with the story stuff on in Gladius yet uh, anymore either. I never have. I've never. I never have. I've, I don't play campaigns on any games, so I'm sort of. I'm, I'm quite negative against them. I, always, I don't like I just them either. Want... I think this is why maybe having early access is better than having sort of the closed off beta because. Having that closed off B, you're going to get people who I don't want to really, I guess I could say fanboys who want don't want to anger the devs and would rather not say some say what they actually feel in a way because I don't know they feel like they've got a relation with relationship with a developer. Whilst if a game's in early access, criticisms like what Daz has. Uh, will be more vocal and probably more heard. It's probably quite hard in a closed beta to be... Uh, you probably... I know, I'm not going to say who, but someone did mention to me that they disagreed with a, a certain aspect of the game and basically got shouted down by the community because of fanboys. <laughs> I can't think of a better word the, to put it. This was in, in the, the closed beta, game? yeah. Oh, really? That's interesting because I found the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really see that. I thought people like, yeah, we can talk about the beaten, uh, the testing now. So, I found that for the most part, people were pretty, pretty vocal about their problems there, and the developers were they were responding to stuff. There were a few things where people were complaining about something that to me seemed like a, a bit of a no brainer, and the devs were a little bit like, well, you know, we've thought about it, but we don't want to do it. And you know, so they've obviously got. I think you've got to be careful with game design to get you know because you get what i call the too many cooks problem where you know they start losing this is why i'm not i'm not as keen on mods as does is at least not early on i think mods should come later in the game's life because i think that if you get mods too early on people start i think you start getting like backseat game developers starting to come in and that's why i really i've got a real bit i, don't, I really don't, I dislike it when i see on forums people saying things like i'm not going to buy this unless it's got mod support because i'm just like look just enjoy the damn game for a bit first <laughs> if the game's that bad that you need to mod it then don't buy the game man <laughs> that's my opinion on it but like I, I think the same thing with you know the beta testing thing i i didn't see fanboyish people i mean I, I don't think so but i guess once you're part of a small a, a relatively small community yeah you are you are insulated a little bit in a sense that you you kind of know everybody a little bit you know from their comments then perhaps there's less challenging of certain things i don't know before we go on with that just to take that point up one thing i did notice actually in the beta testing was that people if you if you come up with a problem that you thought a new player is going to struggle with this particular aspect 
other people would then chime in with, oh, no, you just you click this button, this button, this button, and then that solves it. And it's, it's like, no, that doesn't solve it for a new player. <laughs> so I do see that aspect. Like, yeah, where there was there were people that would say you can get around that by doing something a lot you know, fairly complex, very unintuitive. And for me, that's not, a, not an answer. But And that seemed to diminish a lot of the feedback. And so the, yeah, I guess that, that there is that little aspect to it. I wanted to say something about this whole concept of early access. I think it's a little preposterous. I mean, okay, there it's a way of categorizing something, but I mean, do people not realize that it's just a label you're putting on a game and it, it doesn't, there's no legal attachment. There's no, all we're doing is typically what I think of when I hear early access is, okay, this developer knows that they're, not, they're releasing with a lot of bugs. Um, but I think that there's this ideal notion an early access game will be improving. But I have been burned by that enough times to know that all early access guarantees you is bugs. Now, the fact that Distant Worlds didn't, uh, Distant Worlds Two didn't release as early access to me is just a, it's just a nominal thing. It's just name. So the fact that they are, it's basically an early access game right now because it has a lot of bugs. But look, like look how rapid the development cycles are right now. Look how quick um, patches are being pushed out, fixes are being made. It's basically like a super beta right now. So I, I don't I don't want people to get so stuck on the fact that oh, it wasn't early access or it was because that's just a word. How many early access games have you witnessed that have just fizzled and died without any development at all? Uh, so I, I don't know. That's my comment is I think it's okay that they didn't release early access because it's just a word or a phrase anyways. And it would have been good for them to do from a marketing standpoint. But what I see is a lot of activity on the development side, which is what I want. So it's early access in my head. Right, that's actually a really good point because if it's released as a full game, I guess the devs sort of forced to solve problems really quickly because, well, it's supposed to be a full release game. Rather with early access, you can they can sort of ride on that for a while and maybe not be on top of development. That's actually, I never actually thought of it that way. That's actually a good point, Eric. So I disagree 100%. Because <laughs> I think that I think that when you label something early access, it, you you're then giving people the correct expectation of what they can get from the game. Like I think you've got to ask yourself: Is the game feature complete? No, it's not. So it's not. It shouldn't be a release version if it's if it's not feature complete. Like there's still features that have to come into the game. And so, Tortugas, um, <laughs> there's a chat there from Eric saying that we disagree frequently. In, the, in this case, I do think that early access gives you an expectation. It tells people it's not ready yet. It's not 100% ready, but we think it's ready to play. So you're basically sort of saying this is going to be an enjoyable experience. It's a fun game to play. We're letting you sort of get into it while we still finish off the features and iron out the bugs. And I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I do have a problem with developers do that and then don't follow through, but we know that they're going to be following through on all these things. So for me, it, it gives them breathing space as well. Like they can release in early access. They do need a break, you know, like let's, let's face it, the devs have been working crazy hours to try to get the release done. And now they're working crazy hours because it's a release version with bugs. They now have to fix those before they can actually get, get a, um, like, you know, take a, take a breather. I think if they had gone into early access, the amount of pressure wouldn't have been the same for them as well. So I think it's a very, very important phase. Um, and I think it's also what it does do is it does give you two bytes at the marketing as well. Like you've got a, an early access byte and you've got, a, you've got a launch byte. So you can actually, you can keep it in early access until it's feature complete. 
and then have a big big splash and say here it is here's the here's the final like the the release game and uh so for me it's i yeah i completely disagree with the um with it just being a term for me it's a very very important uh like it's such a massive opportunity it's it it, it sets everyone's expectations where they should be people who get into it that uh, like all of the comments we're seeing on steam if they if it was early access people could then at least respond and say look it's not feature complete there is still stuff being done give it time they're like they're at least but if it's a launch version the expectation is it's ready and um and it's not ready it's uh, there's still stuff to do yeah i mean that's a good point but i mean it comes down to whether it's it, it depends on the developer i guess i mean if it's a relatively new or unknown developer i, I can see how it can uh, slip but i don't think code force would have done that the other thing with uh, you saying sort of you get a two bites of the apple, uh, I don't know. That used to be the case, but I've, I find sometimes a game that hits 1.0, I've kind of already played out on it, and I, it kind of just sort of... Nowadays, they sort of seem to just whimper out of uh, early access. This is not such a big fanfare anymore like they used to be. Just to, uh, just to talk about a point that Daz made, I think Code Force intended this game to be they i think they saw this game as being release ready you know like i don't think that they really thought that the bugs there were there were a few things that were going on you know with regards to performance in the development and i don't my my guess is that i think they just thought these were like kind of isolated cases and then they've released it and it turns out a whole lot of people have got these problems right so i think when it comes to EA, I don't think that they thought that it was necessary because they think that the game is playable. They, that was the, you know, they they felt that the game was feature complete as it is, and that that's my impression that I got anyway. They, I think they don't, they didn't think that, you know, they they were aware that there were little design issues, certain things to the UI, that kind of thing that they wanted to change. That they said, yeah, we've got this scheduled to do is post release patching, but for the most part, I I think that I'm not, I'm not trying to put words into their mouth, and I'm not speaking for Code Force in any way shape nor form i just want to make that quite clear but my impression was that they i think that they thought that this this game was feature you know feature complete enough that it was worthy of a a full release title all right i've prepared a rebuttal to das's statement um no uh yeah i think what das is saying is right by the way i do agree that it should have been released as early access because that does manage expectations i think that underneath that though what is it what does it mean to be early access and Actually, I agree with Ben. I think that they did expect that it was in a release state and they're probably a lot surprised by this. But I also think that I'm just putting myself in their shoes. I think they're also probably happily surprised by the massive sales right now. And hopefully that's lighting a fire under their posteriors. And they seem to be working like crazy to get new new fixes out. So, yes. so that's why I'm happy to see that. Like I, th- there's this old, like where does this all come from? Like, the early access thing came from the fact that the internet allows really quick patching. You know, back in the 90s, we didn't have this. You shipped a CD. You could maybe ship a floppy drive <laughs> or something. I mean, you could maybe mail an update. A whole drive? <laughs> well, a floppy disk, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, this is back in the day. You couldn't really patch things. It was so hard to patch. So a release meant a release. That, that release mentality has been dead for at least a decade. So now almost every game comes out and I I even try to think what are the games that were released in basically a perfectly playable state in the last decade? Very few come to mind. Uh, For example, Crusader Kings 3. I think that that was actually remarkably playable at launch. 
which is like really funny, really ironic because Paradox is not known for those kind of releases. <laughs> but I think CK3 was. It was amazing. Um, but yeah. I think very few games come out in that way. We just kind of expect it at this point. And the reason why I don't like the early access tag that people just use so wantonly is because people use it to deploy a, basically a broken game and just say, well, it's early access. And I, I hate that. I hate this kind of like, look, it's not my fault because it's early access. You just, you're seeing an early access thing. No, man, make an effort and release some kind of quality into your game. Yeah, see, my rebuttal to that would be RimWorld. <laughs> look yeah. at RimWorld's development like that. The early access made that game, and and then when it was ready for release, it was massive. Like it was, uh, and I don't know. For me, the the little thing in my head is: will they ever have to? Will they have to put a patch out at some point that will break save games? And I will bet anything that at some point, distant worlds will have a patch that's okay, guys. This fixes this, this, and this. You're going to have to now start a new game. And for me, that's early access, not not launch. The fact that the modding wasn't in there like fully supported means there's it's going to be breaking save games for sure and uh and so for that just for that what run reason alone that should be a, like that that's where i think it should actually sort of be considered you know not feature complete like that's the that's for me the biggest feature that's not in it but then there's other little things as well like you know and i think there's i don't know for me there will be development on the game that will break save games and that's that's uh fairly it's a fairly major thing to ask people to um to manage themselves but going back to like rimworld like they were in early access. I don't, I don't know how long they were in early access for, but that really, really made it. That, that made that game. And the modding community that got in behind that game during that process were like that. That was years and years of incredible. Well, for every game like, like Rimworld, though, that did a successful and relatively short uh, early access, I mean, it wasn't short, but it was, you know, it wasn't like DayZ. But you, you get like, yeah, you get a game like DayZ or you get a game like. Project Zomboid, which has been in early access since what 2012, I think. I think yeah. Project Zomboid was probably the first early access game at this point, and it's still in early access. And to give kudos to those guys, uh, Project Zomboid is a really good game now. It's like brilliant, but it's it's taken te- ten years to get there, pretty much. Well, they, they don't have NPCs. Still considered like you know that's they, that's not considered complete. Yeah. No, it's not. But I mean, it's. But it was like. I mean, I I bought that way back, and it was that was early access then, and it's way better. I, they've just released a really big update for that game, actually, a big graphical overhaul that I know that they're working on since I bought it back in about 2016. So you know, it's, it's this update's taken them about six years or something crazy. But I mean, yeah. So anyway, we'll move on from early access. But I think. The points about early access are pertinent. They're worth talking about, actually, particularly in the, the context of strategy game development. I want to give Eric a shout out for giving uh, Crusader Kings three a thumbs up as well, because he, I can't think of any other game that had a release as, as good as that. That was like, it wasn't perfect, but it was almost perfect. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go back to Distant Worlds. So how do you guys find the new ship designer? Drexy mentioned this at the start of the podcast, and I've written it down because I want to come back to it. Um, I'm, I'm going to start us off by just saying that I really like it. I think it's... It's a step in the right direction. I think it might need a little bit of tweaking with regards to the way that the hull, the different hull types work. But I like the subtle differences between between hull type um, slot engine slots and that kind of thing in the early game. At first, I wasn't sold on it, but um, now I like it because I really feel that you know if you've got one extra general slot over an engine slot, well, that doesn't sound like much on paper, but when you're playing, that's that that's like an extra energy cell. So this ship can be like really long range. Or you might be able to get like an assault pod on it or something. So 
actually the choices that it presents to you are really meaningful. And I think that at the further you get into the game, I've seen a lot of people on Steam criticizing the ship designer saying, you know, all the ships are the same. It's like, no, respectfully, I think that people are saying that have not played the game long enough to get into further down the tech tree. Because the further into the tech tree you go, the more divergent the ships become and the more interesting they become. And yeah, I like it. I think it's way better than the original game. I think they, there's some tweaks that they could do to the game in order to make it a little bit more customizable, maybe for those people who are missing the old system. But honestly, I ain't looking back now. I think it's maybe instead of saying two steps forward, one step back, it's probably like four or five steps forward and one step back. Just to give context to this, the original Distant Worlds universe, it did ship design uh, where you had no, um, there's no special parts. There's no special modules um, that you like on the ship where you can place things. So you could put anything you wanted on the ship that would just go up to its max size. The only restrictions you had were, okay, at a certain point, you had to put enough crew and you had to put enough, oh, Habit Life, right? That's what I used to, I remember it, Habit Life modules. Yeah, you did too, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, and there's these basic things, but basically most of the ship design was very freeform. You could put on, like, you could make a ship with one engine and 3,000 weapons if the size allowed it. Or you can make a ship with, you know, all engines and no weapons, uh, tons of engines. And the, in the new design now, there's uh, there's hard points. So you have a, a limit. You're only allowed, like, say, two or three engines on this one. You're only allowed two or three weapons and of various sizes. And also another thing is, in the original Distant Worlds, frigate, escort, whatever, was just meaningless. It meant whatever you wanted it to be. You could make an escort size, max size. You could make a battleship the smallest size. It just didn't matter. And now the holes actually have specific there's specific holes for each type now i think all the improvements i mean i would call them improvements all the changes are improvements except for weapon arcs so that the fact that you can now do ship sizes actually means something i think that's good because <laughs> it didn't it, i don't know why it was actually ever that way it was just a, a whole size upgrade technology but it's nice to actually see that the holes mean something now and i also think that uh, the weapon hard points and all that are good. The only thing I dislike is hard as the weapon arcs, and that's specifically because we're not meant to play this game at the super tactical level where you're coming in. I mean, it's basically like trying to play when you're playing Stellaris. You don't even look at the battles, right? They're just a blob. It's like one of those cartoon stacks of smoke that goes on, and then who emerges as the winner? You, it, you don't look at the details. And Distant Worlds kind of plays that way because they they try to take a little bit of manual control out of the player's hands. They want you to just right-click on an enemy fleet or not even. Your fleets are supposed to be automated to go attack them. And anyways, weapon arcs, you're not usually going to control that. You're going to let the AI control it, and the AI will mess it up. And then it doesn't. It ends up being the, a, a situation where the weapon arcs don't help. They're just um, a hindrance to the AI. I'll have to disagree with you there again, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> I knew it was coming. That's why I wanted to go first. <laughs> Yeah, I love the weapon arcs, and I love that if you play Boscarans and then you play Tekans and try to design the ships, the weapon arcs dramatically change how you design those ships. Boscarans are all about front-facing weapons and no defense. Like the so it changes the way that you have to then strategize as well. Like you have to build like for a Boscaran because you've got no real way of defending anything that gets in behind you. And let's face it, the like in terms of the weapon arcs, the the AI, if it sends fighter craft after your ships, they immediately go past your ship and then get in behind the ship and start to sort of think they come in at the angles where 
there's no point defense. And so for me, the, the AI does this beautifully. I, I love it because what it, so we're not talking, this isn't about the designer, but just about the weapon arcs. If the boss Scarans are very, very susceptible, it's the only thing they're really susceptible to is ships in behind them. And so if you have, like, if you're fighting the boss Scarans, you'd really need to then focus very heavily on fighter craft so that, so that they go past the boss Scaran front-facing weapons, getting behind them and literally blow them apart. So I find that really fascinating. I love, I love watching the, the battles occur, like particularly with the Boscarans. I, I find that that's is so, so different than everybody else. And the Tekans are the opposite. Like their ships, all of their weapons fire backwards. So you've sort of got like a, a very different, like they, the Tekans come into a, like if they're attacking a base, they come in and turn around backwards. So they're ready to sort of zip on out of there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, for me, the arcs actually are a, a very big and important aspect. Like, I can see that if they if they didn't have those weapon arcs for the Boscaran ships, they would just be the they would just be super powerful. Like, be over, they'd be too powerful because they're already super super strong. If you've got like a, I think it's a, some of their escorts have got like two heavies, two heavy weapons facing the front, and that's like that's more powerful than some of the frigates. Like the frigates designed from the Xenox has only got one heavy weapon. Yeah. So, and yet the escorts from the uh, from the Boscarans have got two, and and it's but the limitation for them is their firing arc. And uh, yeah, as I say, I, I really really like that. It's um, it sort of makes the game. But it, overall, I've, I'm finding that the ship design, and it's funny because a lot of people come in and comment when you're streaming, really really disliking the new design. And I think that um, I think it was you Ben that mentioned it at the start, or was it you or Drexy that mentioned it at the start that it was. Um, that there's a lot of comments from people who haven't probably haven't played the game long enough who are actually sort of are, are struggling with the fact that you can't do all of this stuff that you could do in Distant Worlds Universe. Like you used to be able to build up, like one of the great things in Distant Worlds Universe was to build a, a group of mini mini carriers, you know, like you could use a frigate design and uh, throw a couple of hangers on board and away you go. Like you've got like these mini carriers that can, if you've got enough of them, can wipe out systems. Uh, I'm glad that that's not in the game anymore. I'm glad that there are these limitations, and um, the limitations for me really make the game super interesting. But the limitations within the different factions I find incredibly interesting. And uh, like that example of the Boscarans, everything is forward-facing. Like this, I think you've got to get up to Cruiser before they actually start to get anything that will fire backwards. <laughs> and they also, the Boscarans don't have um, don't have hangers. That's nothing to do with the, the weapon arcs, but the... Um, the fact that they don't have hangers until they get up to cruiser level as well means that they can't use the same tactics. So, it, like Akdarians versus Boscarans would be really, really fascinating to sort of see a uh, a full blown war between those two factions. The Boscarans have to go in with like a massive hive sort of hive mind uh, fleets of uh, just to to get the destruction done as quickly as they possibly can, while the uh, Akdarians are trying to get as many fighters as they possibly can to get in behind them so that there's no, uh, no, no way that they can actually fire back on the actual ships. I, I really, really like the changes. And the more I've played the game and the more I've sort of actually been looking at the different factions, I, I enjoy just actually opening up new, new starts uh, with high tech levels to see what the different ship designs do across the different factions. It's, uh, and the weapon arcs are a massive part of that. Overall, I really, really like the, the, the limitations. I think that uh, games with limitations like this, these are, are sensible limitations. They, they're, um, they're, not, they're not just frivolous. Uh, when I first started in the beta, actually, I didn't like the ship designer. I was looking forward to um, having access to being able to sort of do weird and wonderful designs like you could do in Distant Mods Universe, but I've, I've since really, really embraced the, uh, the new design for the actual ships itself. 
As far as the actual designer is concerned, I think that that's functional. There's still some issues with putting the latest tech on board. I think that that's actually something where it's, it still misses some of the weapons that you may want to have that might be from a, a tier backwards in tech that, that you um, have access to, but it's not considered the latest tech. But overall, like, I think it's, I think it's, I love the changes with the ships, with the actual ship design. And the ship designer, I think, is actually really, really functional. I'm just really happy not to see bloody Hab and Life modules ever again. <laughs> I had flashbacks when the Tortuga mentioned them. It's like, oh, God. A <laughs> um, couple of things. Um, directional thrusters, are they like, what's the point of those anymore? <laughs> they were no, like not. a big part of Distant World's universe, and uh, they just struggle to fit them now. It's, it's really weird. It's, I, I don't know why they're sitting in the game, to be honest. One other issue I had is um, when you get multiple types of, like, say, like you have a fast destroyer and a fleet destroyer. I don't know if I'm being retarded or not, but you can't automate one type and then set one to manual. It seems to do every destroyer, for example. If you've got four destroyers, they all have to be automatic or all manual or all obsolete. They seem to be linked in a weird way where you, you can't seem to make a specialised version of said hull type. I don't know, unless I'm missing something. So, yes, I also dislike that. And I think the way that the fleet manager, for example, at the moment, you can actually create these fleet designs. So you can design like your perfect fleet. The issue with it that makes it kind of not useless, but I don't use it. Uh, very much is because you only get to choose one type of each hull type so you only get one destroyer one cruiser one frigate one you know whatever it is escort and for me that's kind of useless especially in the early game when you've only got access to destroyers i want one destroyer that's got like sensors on i want one that's got you know i might want one that's got like a hangar so we can have fighters and i want several that i i sometimes build a point defense destroyer right so i've got one that just it does all the point defense for everyone else and i send that in first and then i send in you know like ships behind with longer range weapons that's worked really really well you can't do that with the current fleet designer unfortunately what you have to do is you just pick one type and then you have to manually add ships so you know i've kind of ad hoc a way to figure it that out but i want to go back to a point that eric made about the manual control of the ships eric's kind of made the point that he feels like the game's very very heavily oriented towards automated play and i honestly i really don't use any automation in distant worlds 2 other than colony stockpiles to auto because that just doesn't work manually at the moment i don't think it just seems to be really over complex and just maybe a little bit bugged or i just don't understand it but the the ship combat is really really good it's very much like it's not like stellaris i don't think i've got to disagree with you there in stellaris yes there's very limited control with how you engage in the older versions you used to be able to kind of like move stuff around and kind of kite the enemy a little bit before you engage but you can't do that now however in distant worlds you if you want to you can send your ships in completely different directions make sure that you're coming in at a different angle to avoid firing arcs i've got i just think that it's not how at least i think that eric's kind of said it in a way that i just don't recognize i had one game right um and this was back in the beta before the game was released but it's still perfectly valid now i had five ships and they were um they were they were like a wolf pack and i was at war with an enemy and he was much bigger than me had like way way more ships and um he was i was able to hold him off when he was attacking me with my main fleet but i had this wolf pack of five ships and they jumped from system to system destroying mining stations and every time they jumped into a system they would be greeted by a fleet two or three times their size 
And the only way that I could beat these fleets and get away was by kiting them and sending some ships to lure them off in different directions. And I was doing all this manually. And I just think that, you know, the game is, you really can play this like an RTS. It's totally controllable like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I disagree. I just think that, I just think it works really, really well. Oh, man. I just, uh, so yes, in theory, if you are a very patient person and you don't mind, pausing the game every like five or 10 seconds, you can play this manually. But right now, it, when I want to do tactical orders, what I want to do, I, and this is why I kind of treat the game more like Stellaris, because you can't do this. Um, right now, I'll I'll just right click on my fleet, go attack that, and I'll just hope that they do an okay job. And I, I don't know, have you got, am I the only person who's noticed this, that my ships will just run headlong into the enemy and then just kind of like bounce off. Them. I mean, they don't actually bounce, but they just sit there and then they kind of like yeah. pivot to the right. Even when you it's set them to cautious, they, uh, this, I can, maybe it's an issue with the point of defense, like Daz was saying, but I've noticed this as well. Yeah, it's, uh, anyway, that's why I, would, I don't like it. And that's why when I see things like this, that's why I don't know if the weapon arcs are good because I don't know if the AI can handle it. To say about weapon arcs, I like them in theory, but I just don't think that the game it doesn't fit with the game where it is right now. And I hope that I'm proven wrong. I'm not even that frustrated by them. It's not that big of a deal, but to me, it just highlights the little AI quirks that I see when I don't see the engagements happen in an intelligent way based on the uh, weapon arcs. Then I just get a little frustrated. And so my like workaround is ignorance is bliss. I just zoom out. I don't want to look at the battles because I don't want to see how, how poor they're managed. But if I wanted to manage them, I can't do that because I, I can't like right click over here and then, unpause two seconds later okay now make your turn to the left you know i can't because there's no queuing of orders you can't queue up orders so unless you have the patience to sit there and micromanage every two seconds pause issue your the waypoint orders you can't do that so i'm not going to sit there and micromanage that so i'm not i don't know why they don't have manual queue, uh queued orders it's been something that i've been asking i i i think everybody who's from the distant worlds game remembers them I think the exploration system is kind of bad right now, and I would rather just queue my orders for the explorers. I have a, yeah, look at, I'm just saying all these things because I have a critical mind and everyone probably knows this about me that I end up talking about negative points, but I, I think the game is like one of the best games I've ever played. So I'll, please take everything I'm saying from that context that I, I still am fixating on a few minor things. But yeah, okay, manual orders aren't there. You can't really control it. I don't want to control things by constantly pausing and issuing a new order as a means of queuing an order. Um, the other thing is, yeah, the AI is not up to the task of some of the things with the weapon arcs and tactical control. So, and that's why I kind of treat it more like Stellaris. Yeah, this was one of the biggest thing. I guess it's been, they kind of fixed it with the asteroid belts, but still, I, I hate there's no queuing of orders because I would like to manual stuff. Not, maybe not everything, but you know, take manual control of a exploration ship and tell it to go explore this but now you've you've got to keep track of that ship now rather than being able to queue a bunch of orders a lot of the times i've sent something off to scan a planet and there's maybe two other moons on that planet for example and i've forgotten about it and it's got left behind um i see this is one of the things i was talking about about fanboys when I mentioned the, the lack of queue of orders on the official uh, Distant Worlds 2 Discord, I got such pushback and people say, oh, no, no, don't put it in, don't put it in. I said, well, if you put it in, you don't have to use it. But for us who like to use it, 
put it in and I, I just got so much pushback and it was, I found it really weird but yeah I this one of the main things I really miss is um, queuing orders even being able to send a fleet so it comes in like from a distance from the target but on the right side of a planet so you've got a base around the planet normally I send stuff close-ish and then I send it in but now I also have to manually check that they're all there and now send them there. Whereas if I could just like, you know, even make your little patrols with queuing orders is like, I don't know why it's not there. <laughs> I'm rambling now, but I, I so wish they would really That's a really good point, Gracie. That's a really, yeah. that's a really strong point. point because even that, like even that is, is such, it's one of those things, nothing worse than having, uh, you're going after Gravelex and it's, it's a quarter of the way around a, a star. And your ships happen to come in and then they all string out in a really long line as they sort of do this dance around the edge of the star and go in drip they drip feed themselves into the attack whereas if you could queue the order i think i think we all 100 percent agree uh that the queued orders are really really needed in the game um i think all four of us think are thinking that uh be surprised if anyone oh, uh, eric you probably no, no, that's one of your big <laughs> <laughs> this one i can't disagree with you with yeah um i don't know like look i was one of the people who, who on the in the beta forums when people were talking about it said uh, to be honest i don't really miss the queue porters. i found that laborious but just to go jump back to what eric was saying i completely i think he made a very fair point and i missed that point actually when i was you know kind of replying to it that the ai actually can't handle the uh the way that it is set up at the moment and i do agree with that and i think that nobody wants to have to micromanage their ships on every battle you can't do it especially later in the game you have to start using automation in the game at some point i think what made me realize that distant world's universe was one of the best games i'd ever played was how well it did automated combat the fact that you could set up these attack and defense areas you know for these attack and defense missions for fleets and then they would they would attack the area, um, they would do the mission, and they would they would repair and they would go and refuel, and then they'd come back. I just thought the AI on it was so good. It, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it, it it was just revolutionary, right? It allowed you to completely automate stuff. I think Distant Worlds Two does a better job of that than Distant Worlds Universe ever did. Uh, I'd, I'd, at the moment, though, like what I think Eric is right about is that I don't think the like if you if you get the AI to automatically attack something, at least. I'll, I've got to be honest. I've not, I've not got that far into it since release because I've just been doing the beta testing thing, and I've not had that much time. But at least in the previous versions, I found that if you ask the a fleet to go and attack something, half the time it didn't do it; it just sat there. And the other half of the time that it did decide to go, it kind of just yeah, the ships fly up to one another and they just kind of like mill around one another a little bit. So I don't know if that's changed in the release version. So uh, I might be being ignorant, but I didn't think that worked very well at all. So I think that I'm playing a game at the moment. Sorry, where where I've, I've set my ships up to a, to a cautious because they've got concussion missiles and they kite they kite away from the enemy. The enemy's chasing them. It's really fascinating. And you've got them escorts that are that are designed designed to be aggressive, and then they swing in behind them. And I'm not I don't I don't micromanage this at all. I just watch what's going on. Okay. The only thing it doesn't do well is that when they when they're targeting one ship, they ignore the other ships that are getting close. But that the whole kiting thing, like with uh, setting them to um, to be cautious, for me is working incredibly well. Uh, depending on the weaponry that you're actually using, of course, you need to have seeking weapons so that they can run away. But uh, you know, and and then you sort of find that your escorts, you know, if they've got sort of like close weapons, they'll they'll swing in behind the enemy ships. Enemy ships still chasing whatever its target is, and uh, other ships are keeping their distance. I, I, yeah, really, for me, I'm 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 just I know I'm really impressed with the battles. It's sort of funny. I'm, I'm I must be on a 
must be in a different distant worlds than the rest of you guys. <laughs> well, no, I think I'm I'm partly playing, and you know, I'm talking from my experience before the release a little bit because um, I've I've not had chance to get to an end game situation apart from stuff that I've artificially created in order to test things. So yeah, I'm, I'm you know I'm kind of going on old info here, um, but uh, you but know, just, this is early sorry. game. This is like within the first ten years. Like you can do that right from the start. Basically, if you get concussion missiles, put them on cautious on on um, on some ships, and then have um like rail guns on other ships yeah you end up with a really really interesting fight where you've got ships that are closing in as fast as as far as they possibly can i think yeah when you've got two fleets of ships that have got uh, very similar weapons they will close in and just blast each other apart but when you which is sort of what you want if you're playing it like as the boscarans you, you don't want them running around but if if you that's what i mean like the boscarans each faction does play quite differently if you let them play that way Des, I have a question for you, though. I mean, have you noticed that um, the fleet maneuvering, it doesn't look organic when you have two ships that just go right face to face? And they, it, to me, it doesn't they don't uh, they don't have this like smooth water like flow where they don't they don't lose their speed. They kind of turn. Uh, what, what I see is they just come and they just stop and then they start turning in place. <laughs> it, it, it just looks really goofy. But that's that's like what Star Trek does. No, Star Trek, I, that's why I, oh, I wanted to say, though, is Star Trek has this nice fluid motion where ships are in motion and they're moving and, you know, they go vertical or they go sideways, so they turn. But I, what I see is is just this, yeah. it, it's like a rhinoceros charging and then it, it stops, and it, it hits its target, and then it, it's like, okay, I need to start shuffling my way to the right. Yeah, know, it doesn't yeah. It's like, it's like the, you know, the waggle dance for bees? Um, have you seen that? With like how bees, when bees move, they, they move in like a, yeah. a waggly. It's, it's called the waggle dance, and uh, I off, quite often you're watching it and thinking, yeah, that's that's the they're doing the bee waggle dances. But it's funny if you actually sit and do it from the bridge or follow mode, it's incredible how much movement the ships actually do. Like you, it's very like you sort of you do that to try to sort of look at the targets, but then quite often they'll they'll fire weapons and then. They will actually veer off, and you just don't. When you're looking at it from far away, it doesn't look like they're doing much, but they do tend to. They're still maneuvering, but just in a in a different sort of way, I guess. Guys, I want to move the conversation on. How are you finding the user interface? Because again, I'm 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 going to fanboy a little bit, I guess, but I'm really really like it. I think it's it's a drastic improvement over Distant Worlds Universe. Now, I'm not the best person to criticize it because I didn't really mind the one in uh, into in Universe actually. I think a lot of people complained about it and I really didn't have a big problem with it. But to my old eyes now, I don't have to squint to see it, which is pretty cool. And I just, I just think it, apart from the fact that it just seems to slow the game down and there's obviously some coding stuff going on there or, or optimization. But I think that for the most part, everything has its place. There doesn't seem to be, you know, like three or four locations to find the same thing like there was in Distant Worlds, Uni- uh, Distant Worlds Universe a little bit. I'm not a min-maxer, so I don't really care about you know repetition in UI. But I think some people like appreciate that. Um, I think that it just the whole thing you know it, it could be tucked away. It you know it only pops up when you need certain bits. I think the, the ship designer can use a little a little bit of love. But other than that, it just seems pretty good to me. What are your opinions on it? I need somebody who's a little bit more critical than I am. Yeah, look, I, I also think it's it's exceptionally good. It's uh, it's funny because I've been watching a few different reviews of other people who haven't been part of the beta like because i do like to sort of see what people think when they come into the game fairly fresh i guess a bit like what, what the way that you know drexy sort of has had that same sort of experience where they're coming in and they haven't been playing it for like a year and um 
And it's, I'm finding that some people are sort of saying that it's serviceable, and it's, uh, but it's clearly a um, in, an independent uh, version of a of, uh, of a user interface. I'm thinking that's really, really unfair. Like this is, a, I'm finding the interface extremely serviceable. Um, it looks good. I think it looks great. It's certainly beyond what you expect from like an indie game. Like if you're thinking of an indie game, I think of, of games a bit like Shadow Empire. You know, Shadow Empire, the user interface is. Pretty crappy, incredibly good game, but pretty crappy user interface. You know the, the way that, that sort of would then work. But Distant Worlds, I don't think that's in that category at all. Like, you know, I think that that's the user interface is clearly, like, you know, clearly really, really well done from my perspective, anyway. Yeah, the original was could be a bit of a mess, but the only thing I, I mean, generally, yeah, I mean, there was some grand pains. Do miss having larger windows for certain things. Stuff like even like the resources and you know, in old distant worlds you had like a big window which could have a lot of information. You had a little universe map in the corner. You could easily quickly see how far certain resources were from your home home system and stuff. But now because they've had to cram everything into that sort of side panel, it it does make stuff like managing stuff like that a bit more awkward for me and having to zoom out on the map to see where it's flashing for those resources rather than having a sort of overhead map to look at where they are sort of thing generally yeah it's a it's a lot better and of course the scanning options are awesome and the colors as well the color options are awesome as well i think it's it's great i don't really care much about user interfaces because i do like playing games like shadow empire so basically i uh, just say the same thing that interface is not a big deal to me maybe you're getting a lot of people coming from Stellaris, and I think the Paradox happens to do a pretty good job with their user interfaces. If you were trying to compare this to Stellaris, I think it would come up short, but I think it's uh, done pretty well. I think it's pretty slick, and it feels like they've put a lot of effort into, yeah, into making it look nice and also feel like a space game as well, because I'm going to try to avoid getting into a rant about this. Cause I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but... Um, user interface complaints are another thing like modding complaints that really annoy me because I think that everybody seems to think that the best way to do a user interface is just to make it as minimal and kind of just like really vanilla and gray. And I, when I found out that user interface de- designers all have this one Bible that they all use to, they all read it. And this is the book that they use to try to get the, the design principles. I really, I found that really bizarre because user interface is also about immersion and it's not just about ease of use it's about it's about how it brings you into the game and makes you feel like you're there right and so for example with with a space game i want something that makes me feel like i'm playing a space game i like the user interface in distant worlds universe because it because it, it was kind of complex and there was loads of lists and stuff and it made me feel like i was really managing this big empire that was all part of the immersion for me and i, d- I really don't like this min maxing away of aesthetics in the name of you know efficiency it just it's a very computer scientist way of game designing and i just don't (laughs) obviously that sounds like i'm being rude and i've studied computer science right so i'm kind of i'm insulting myself here but i find that i think if you mix the engineering brain with the artistic brain that's the best that's the best way of making a piece of art right if especially when it's a technical piece of art but user interface design i think when you leave it to these these sterile user interface people who really just want everything to be completely you know just it's got to look like that one from endless legend it's like oh come on really i think the one in distant worlds 2 is great it looks unique it's interesting i've not really seen one like that before um it it conveys all the information um so it's pretty easy to use probably not quite as like normal as Stel- solaris but normal's boring man 
Yeah, but as you said, you know, you like immersion. I liked pulling up certain screens, like what I was saying, the resources screens and stuff like that, because that was part of the immersion. You had all this information, which you could, I mean, half the time you wouldn't always use all that information, but it's there if you want. But uh, another point I want is, I think with user interfaces, as long as they doesn't don't get in the way of what you're trying to achieve, I think that's that should be the goal of every user interface, really. Yeah, from my perspective, and I am a graphic designer, so I sort of, uh, and I did actually mod the original Distant Worlds universe uh, with a few different mods to change the interface because uh, I found it really ugly. <laughs> I found the styles. Uh, I hated that the styles were different. And it was one of those things where I really hated playing Distant Worlds Universe because of the aesthetics. And uh, what, I, what I find is that I think with user interface design and things like this, it's got to be the function is one part of it. Aesthetics is another part of it. And so you do need to, like, at the end of the day, it's got to communicate and give you a, um, a sense of immersion. And, uh, and it, but it's still got to be very, very functional. So the, the, I guess the com- combination between art and engineering there is a there is a line there where you do need to do it, but I don't. I think it's. I think you've got to aim for communicating the best possible way. It's it's all about the communication objectives, and so and I again I find that distant worlds. There's a few little things that I would like to change uh, because I think that I think that they're confusing. For example, I think that the little character when you sort of when you come up against a, a style like a faction uh, and you have like these tiny little icons as to what population is on that particular planet. It's okay when you open them up, but for me, that's, that's, they're the little things that I would like to change. Also, the big, big thing I would like to change about the interface, which really does piss me off, is the fact that you can't personalise your flags and you can't actually yeah. colour your flags. Yeah. I think that's such a negative. Because I, I had a, Sorry to bone, but I had a game where I had two other factions right next to me which had the same flags and colours, and oh, I was so annoying. <laughs> I really, really feel the same way. It's like, why did you not allow us to have custom built, custom made flags? It's, it can't be. I, I'm, I'm not that great at programming. I'm pretty sure I could make something that would, with some way of customizing things. Um, even distant, I'm pretty sure distant worlds universe, you could do that. They just seem to have these pre made flags. I, I, I built mods for like flag mods in Distant Worlds Universe. Like I built, uh, so I've, like I had all, and the way it worked in Distant Worlds Universe was, was that you could actually have like a, a ping file that, that could be colored or could be white or whatever you wanted to do. And it would then be then used over whatever color you had. Now, most games now have a, two, a two-tone process where you have like two colors, like a major color or primary color and a secondary color. And, uh, and then you have like a, a flag design or a design that then sits in the middle of it or, or over the top of it. I don't know why they didn't go with that model. It's just, it, for me, it makes zero sense having all these factions with the same, exactly the same flag, all the pirate f- factions with the same flag. are super, super annoying. For me, that's the biggest problem with the interface where it currently is. It's not really, it, well, I guess it is still interface, but it's not part of the actual, I guess, the desktop part of what it does do. But overall, other than that, I think it's actually really good. And But I do also think that the, the little characters, when you're sort of trying to see what sort of populations there are, should actually be stylized versions of the, like, they should be iconic versions of the Boscara or whatever else they might be, rather than trying to just shrink down the actual little um, portraits. So it's things like that that I would like to see changed. I have looked to see if I could actually mod that. I know that they said that that would be moddable, but I can't find it. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, actually. Some of the UI stuff with, you know, like when you're, when you're looking at the galaxy map and you're looking at a system, I didn't like it in Distant Worlds Universe either, the way that it kind of represented population and development. It didn't really feel that intuitive somehow. 
I absolutely accept that UI design just needs to be, it's got to be functional. It's got to be readable. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for people, you know, just to throw all that away in this, you know, just to make some airy fairy thing that looks nice and is immersive, but you know, like is dead difficult to use, obviously. Have you guys got any other sort of things that you would like to bring up about the game that, you know, you're, you've kind of picked up like an issue or, or maybe something that you're really enjoying about it? Uh, yeah, I guess I want to talk about the automation because I just railed against it a little bit earlier, but I want to say that automation, you could automate everything in distant worlds universe and I never did. And you can automate everything in distant worlds too. And I automate many things now. I can't exactly describe why. Um, I don't want to, hopefully it's not just an attributed to my laziness, learning all the you know best ways to manually control things. And probably that isn't it because I do manually control stuff like the budget, which takes micromanagement and daily management really. But I, I really think that the automation has, has, has been improved. And I think that it's to the point you, I always said this before about distant worlds universe. Oh yeah. Anybody can pick it up because you can just automate it. But I'm not, I never really believed it. I never really thought, Oh, that would be a fun way to play. I actually think it's a fun way to play in distant worlds too. To the point where it does kind of rival Stellaris. You can play this at a Stellaris level at like a very less detailed focused level and get great enjoyment out of it. Yeah, I've been using that automation a ton. I think what it is is, is you, the user interface because everything's on that on that uh, one screen. In Distant Worlds Universe, a lot of changing stuff was doing a lot of drop down menus. The icons work so much better, and it's it's easier to sort of look at um, what level you want to do by just massing over it rather than having that drop down menu. And then you had some automation stuff that was in a different window, but now everything's just on that pane. I think it's just made automation easier to set it to how you like without getting in your way, like I mentioned earlier. They've done a really good job on how they've laid that automation window out. Yeah, I think it's uh, the automation, uh, uh, very much like what Eric is sort of saying as well. I, I find that I'm using it without realizing that I'm using it that, uh, to a degree. It's just sort of one of those things where it just, it's just doing its thing. And, uh, and then when you find, okay, I'm at the stage of the game now where I need to take control or, or not see certain things, I'm happy for the AI to, to, to automate something without, it, without advising me. They're the changes I'm making, but I'm certainly playing it much, much more automated than distant world universe but i'm not feeling like i am it's just it just feels instinctive to, to play that way and so whenever i start a new game i just set it onto default i change a few of the fleet settings and then let the game start and then as the game progresses i'll then start to turn off or either fully automate some of the automation settings like it comes to a point where if, if it wants to build a base yeah just build the base if you want to if you want to build a, um, a planetary facility build a planetary facility don't tell me about it and so those sorts of things I put onto full automation, but very little do I actually do manually, like other than sort of like fleet management. Like even with the research, I'm happy to just come in and, and queue up what I want. But then if I don't have anything in the queue, the AI will then just pick something for me. I'm happy for that. The one thing I wish, uh, and I think Eric, you've mentioned this before, uh, and I think that this, the more of, uh, since I didn't realize it until you mentioned it, I'm pretty sure that you, you mentioned this one, uh, was in the, uh, in the financial screens, the second one across where you can sort of split your funding if you let the AI do it, it, it reserves 10% of your income essentially for, and that becomes your cash flow. Now, you don't need full, fully 10%. It would be better to have less, or often have to have less, and allow the leftover to go into research. That's something that, until I sort of saw that you have to automate the whole thing or nothing, it's an either or. I've noticed that every single time I play it now. 
So, yeah, it's one of those things. I'm pretty sure that you mentioned that, Eric. Um, yeah, I'm really that, sorry I did because I know ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of funny, but I do notice it every single time I think, that has to be a separate automation. Like you got it. Those two areas are so different, so important. It's um, yeah, it's quite funny. Like even just that, if there was a little toggle on that little on that one aspect, I want to order. Like I'm going to tell you what this one is, but you still please automate the rest of it because it's too much to automate to, to do that manually. Because the amount of money switches around so quickly, you've got to let the AI really manage that. Like it's, uh, I think that that's really really difficult to manage. That I have a lot of people come in and comment. When I'm streaming, saying that oh, all my systems are getting into revolts and things like that. What what am I doing? And I'm oh, in my head, I'm thinking, I bet you that you're manually controlling the money because um, that's the easiest way to get into trouble in that way. I think that the automation is one stumbling block for new players. I actually I was on Steam earlier and I asked a guy to post his game save because he was he was he was basically saying that there was a bug where his stations weren't receiving Caslon, but like he had loads in his, you know, that he had loads of Caslon mines, like, oh, it's a bug. So I looked at his game save and I was like, no, I see what you've done here, man. This is working as intended. You've manually set one of your stations to have like 10,000 or 100,000 Caslon reserved. And that's, so they're trying to fill that reserve and then you've left the other ones on auto. So they're not, that, that's what's going on there. It's not ideal behavior, but you've kind of caused that. So it's difficult sometimes to tell when you've got a game that's this focused on complexity automation and also is released in a quite a buggy state uh, you're going to get confused players i couldn't figure out why it was that when i set my fleets to be automated they did nothing and it turns out that not only have you got to click on the automation button for that specific fleet you've also got oh, individual ships. automated well it, at least individual fleets but then you've also got to have uh, the automation for the fleet set to be on. Otherwise, they just won't do anything. Now, I, that confused the hell out of me for ages. I could not figure it out at all. That's not intuitive. So I think a lot of the automation stuff in, in Distant World 2 is not intuitive and it's not particularly well explained. At least I, maybe I'm just missing something, but I I find some of it's not great, actually. That said, I, I agree with the general sentiment that you guys have been talking about, that it, I found myself using automation more in this one and I think that it's, like you say, it's kind of seamless where you are. And I don't really feel like, I don't feel the need to manually manage my colony stocks generally. The great thing about this game is it's set up so that you can zoom in on the things that you want to, right? That's what the game's biggest selling point. So if you really want to play a small game where you're really closely managing all your colonies, and then great, doing manual colony stock management might be something that you want to do. But, you know, it's like... I think that there comes a point for most people where there is a limit to their what their attention can handle, and the automation features there are very, very welcome. They've just got to work, and if they don't work, then that's a serious problem. Yeah, it's kind of a hard thing to convey to people who have not used to such system. I think like one of the early problems, I don't know whether it's been changed, but I think what the default automation would spam you with so many notifications, like every time it found an asteroid, it would, notification, oh, do you want to build a mining station here? I mean, one person posted a screenshot where their whole right side of their screen was just notifications, and it's it's a trap for new players. I don't know how they could go about with, I may, guess maybe just refining what the default automation is, but yeah, it can be a trap for newer players to the game. Like you mentioned with this guy, who set the castle onto 100,000 warrior was from one planet. Yeah, so it, it can be a trap, really, the automation. But for, I guess, for us experienced people, um, it's 
been a godsend, really. I mean, uh, like I said, I was like Eric. I never used to use automation at all. And now I rely heavily on it. And just it allows me to focus on more stuff, on the stuff I really want to focus on, which is something that games like Stellaris just can't do. Yeah, one thing, I guess, loosely related to that sort of Caslon issue is one thing that I've actually found, which disappoints me about the game, actually, is, uh, is that if you end up with a planet that's got 150% um, development, which basically is sort of like maximum development, and, and yet you also control like a Caribbean spice world or something like this, one of these really, really rare worlds, because it doesn't need the luxury resource, it will set that to zero. And I find that sad actually I, it's almost I, these worlds should matter and uh, they actually don't uh, like at the like once you get to a certain level they no longer really have a big bearing in the game and um i don't know if you guys have found this but i've actually i've noticed this a little bit when i've just done a bit of a deep dive into the different colonies uh when i do actually have these sorts of worlds i'm trying to explain to when i was streaming once how the Caribbean spice flow works, you know, to sort of show how it's sort of them bouncing from system to system. It goes to the mining station, they collect it, then the ships come from the various uh, colonies and pick it up, and it, it then sort of goes to, like, one big planet and then goes off to all the other colonies. But what I found was it was only the developing colonies that were actually going and picking it up. My home world was already at maximum development, and so it was not requesting any Caribbean spice at all, so it didn't have anything at all there. And I found that very unintuitive and very uh, off-putting because um and i'm thinking that these sort of luxury resources you get to a level where they no longer have an impact on your on your home worlds i still think there should be some benefit in having those and particularly those big luxury resources like caribbean spice in tabia fluid and loris fruit i wonder if there should be some other aspect about them other than just colony development sorry my dogs are barking <laughs> Uh, where it really does talk a lot about the like where it helps maybe with uh, more happiness than what it currently does or corruption, uh, you know, con control corruption, just some other aspect that really does give you a, a massive reason to be looking for these particular resources because at the moment you get, as I say, you get to that 150% and they don't mean anything. And, and in Distant Worlds Universe, they meant everything to get those worlds. Yeah, that uh, sounds a little bit of an immersion issue, isn't it, as well? Because you like the idea that, that you know just because they are highly developed they're still going to want those things so maybe there's something they could do i mean especially with those three i, I think there might even be more now in this one but you know these these super resources the suit like you know uh what is it a loris fluid zentabi fluid all that kind of stuff i think that they should give you an extra happiness bonus i don't know if they actually do that maybe does you might know yeah, they, they do give you like a 10 percent Oh, but okay. for whatever reason the, the colonies aren't asking for it once they get to 150 percent development Oh. And so maybe maybe it's just that they don't they only rate the colony development aspect. So like you get about twenty percent colony development from them. And I'm yeah. thinking if it's sort of thinking, okay, we've already got the maximum colony development, we, we just won't request it. But I think maybe maybe it's to do with the actual game design, where that may that may be a bug actually, where they still get the benefit because they often do three things. I think one of them, I think it might be Zentabia fluid. Actually, also then gives you you can cure plagues as well. Yeah, does so yeah, actually, little things that it does do, but it seems to be like once your home worlds and things become 150%, they basically say, well, we don't need this stuff. Guys, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on the race choice in the game. And as a side question, who are you enjoying playing and why? I love, have loved, and will always love the Actarians. I just love them. 
I do also like their, Das pointed this out about the weapon arcs. I do like the weapon arcs for them. They have the nice 360, which you obviously can put your point defense on. And then you can, you know, stuff missiles onto the more narrow focused arcs and then just kite away when you launch all your fighters. It's the perfect play style. Now, I actually think, I'd be curious to get your opinions on this as well. I kind of have the feeling that kinetic weapons are overpowered right now. They just blow right through shields and I find them crippling to fight against. I find them very useful to use. So I don't know. Other than that, Ektarians, I have to say, I don't really like the Xenox, which is actually the series I'm currently putting on my channel. Not a huge fan of them. I like the humans because humans just have so much role-playing potential. Just like for my own games, I like to role-play as the humans and then Imagine I'm in like the Babylon 5 universe or, you know, you could really put yourself in the, like the Dune universe, any universe, because the humans are just obviously the central point for any science fiction universe. The Actarians are only going to exist in the distant worlds universe. You can't, it uh, limits your role playing ability quite a bit. So those, I would say Actarians, big plus, uh, humans uh, plus, uh, Xenox a negative, and I haven't really gotten to the aggressive races yet, so I'll defer on those. I agree. I think Actarians are really, really interesting, actually. They're, uh, I love... Like, it's funny because I thought I'd enjoy playing the Mortalans more than the Akdarians when I went, like, when we had that sort of like that limited aspect that we could actually sort of do with the pre release. And I found the opposite. The Akdarians were so much more fun to play uh, than the, than the Mortalans. In terms of my most enjoyable faction, it's the Boscarans. I just, I love, I love because of their ship design. I love how, like, I love how no one likes them. So when you're playing it, you really are. Like it's you against everybody. <laughs> I just really like it, and they're they're so so strong as well. Like it's um, they really steamroll, and uh, so I'm enjoying them probably more than anything. Actarians, as you say, are up there. Humans are up there as well. After that, I agree with you. The Xenox are. I don't like playing them. I'm not enjoying that really all that much. I'm doing a stream at the moment with the Xenox. Yeah, I don't know the Tekans as well. I'm not really super enjoying them. The Harkonish, I haven't played much, but I'd be interested to see what uh, Ben says because I know that, Ben, you've got some thoughts about playing the ha the Harkonish a couple of different ways. The Mortalins, I think I played too much of that in the pre-release, and so I'm sort of a bit sick of playing them now, but I know I'll come back to them and enjoy them again, but it's sort of like the um, the limited... With only having seven factions, I'm I'm playing so much of it that I am getting a little bit sick of the seven factions. I wish there was... Uh, you know, three or four more, but you can't have that. But I've been playing hundreds and hundreds of hours of this game, so <laughs> so it's sort of that's not really a, a fair a fair thing to say, I guess. But they all do play very differently. But yeah, for me, the Boscarans really, really enjoying that one. For me, because I haven't played anywhere near as much as you. I think I've played maybe four four of the races. Basically, every time a patch came out I restarted the game I just picked a different race so I don't really have an opinion yet on the races I'm actually playing the uh, Tekans in my current game so I'm sad to hear you didn't don't enjoy them because I was looking forward to trying them I actually really like their designs <laughs> but other than that no I currently don't really have much opinion on the races but I can see it will get to the point where I mean I've never even got close to end game at the moment so but I can see once I, I, I put more time into the game, I will want more races as well. And just hopefully this is going to be coming sooner than later. I've not really played them all yet, but as Daz said, I've, I've been playing Harkonish recently and they were ones that I never even I never even thought about playing those guys in Distant Worlds universe. And when the developers were, were saying that they felt that they'd the seven races that they'd picked 
were quite representative of, of like lots of different gameplay styles. I thought, well, there must be something to them. And I looked at them and they're like, well, they're unfriendly. They, you know, they seem to be quite good at ship building and they've got this like great energy cell. I was like, ah, what's it? What is about them? It's not really explained that well, but they are superb trading people. They're very much like the Tekans, except they're like Tekans crossed with the Mortalin. They're really strong. They're like really good at ground combat. They're actually quite strong compared to some of the other factions. They also build decent ships as well. They're, the way that their ships work are, are put together are quite aggressive. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying them. And the reason why I asked this question was because I thought that one of the great things about this game is that there's lots of subtlety in the combinations of, of options that you have. And I think that that's one thing that Code Force have been really, really good at is giving you lots of toys to play with and you know those little options really changing the way things play. For example, with the Harkonish, as Dad, as Dad sort of telegraphed, they, uh, they're kind of geared towards playing either Mercantile Guild or Feudalism. Now, if you play Harkonish with Feudalism, they become really quite aggressive. They're very much like the Mortalin. Uh, they're kind of unfriendly. Nobody really likes them that much. And although they, they, you know, they do like, they can still trade and they can do, they can do diplomacy. They're not really so good at it in that respect. So they become more of an aggressive faction, but they do have more options. And they're not like the Boscarans, where if you want to play diplomatically as the Boscarans, you're really fighting an uphill battle. You know, it's very difficult to do. You're not hard locked out of it, like in a game like something like Endless Legend, where, you know, different races are so asymmetric to the point where they literally lock out certain kinds of functions. They're, they're asymmetric in a way that, you know, you can actually get around them if you put some effort in. But I really like the Harkonish because... If you play them as the Mercantile Guild, all of a sudden those diplomatic penalties that they have are kind of overcome and they become really, really good traders, almost to the point where they can rival the Tekans. So you can start playing not only diplomatically, but the, you know you can start playing with things like you know the espionage a little bit more. You don't, you're not immediately going to get attacked hit by everyone because they all hate you. Mercantile Guild seems to be like one of those government types that isn't hated by that many people. It's really interesting to see that this one race actually plays very very differently depending on which government type and i'm willing to bet like the other factions are going to be exactly the same i mean you know imagine a a, a way of the dark ones with the tekans for example that's just going to be horrible that's just going to be horrifying <laughs> with all those multiple multitudes of ships they're like tons and tons of little ships from the tekans but they're like completely evil i just think that distant worlds is great in that respect and i liked it about the first game and i really like it about this one because it really seems like they've nailed the game mechanics in to be able to allow you to play with these options yeah i was f fascinated when you actually mentioned that because um i hadn't really thought much about the uh, the government choice you know actually swinging the like it's like you're playing it's a bit like Age of Wonders, you know, like how you've sort of got, the, like you've got your faction, but then you've got your class. It's almost the same thing where you've got like your faction is is the race that you're playing, but then the government type does have an impact. It, like, and I never really, got, I never really thought about how much of an impact it does have until you did mention the Harkonish and those two different ways of, of uh, you know, that you had sort of looked at. The, the, you'd explored the Mercantile Guild and the um, and the feudalism and the, and the differences in the gameplay. I thought that was really. It's always something they could do more of or more with, I think. That would extend the factions in quite interesting ways. Right, because you can really challenge yourself, you know, if you want to try, like I say, you want to do something crazy like playing, you know, diplomatic Boscarans or just to kind of move on from this, but to incorporate kind of what I've been saying, I did a video for Explorminate where I kind of showed off an alternative way of starting the game. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things that I think might be we've seen i've seen some people on forums saying that they feel the game's like too slow at the start and a little bit boring 
And so I came up with this, you know, here's a way to start your game setup. And I know Daz is a big fan of this. Like, you know, like he's got his very specific way of setting things up. And I, sh- I was like, look, okay, try setting your, you've got, so you've got some really strong neighbors and, you know, you might want to make friends with one of them, but then have another one that's close. It's a big empire with really high tech and you're really itty bitty small. And, you know, you can really set the game up in so many different ways. It drastically changes the way the game plays. Like at the moment, I've got one colony and I'm surrounded by people who've got five or six. And then there's an empire on the other side of the galaxy that's got like 20 or 30, uh, 20 colonies or so. And, you know, there's a smattering of ones who are about my size who are just doing the pre-warp thing. It's completely different because exploration isn't even a thing because within, a fir- within about 10 years, you're going to have, you, you'll have the communications frequencies for everybody and pretty much everybody's taken most of the available stars. So now you're playing a game. Now, if you're the Harkonish playing a Mercantile Guild like I am, you're going to have to steal tech. You're going to have to make friends with people. You've got to build yourself up through trading. And you, you can't just go out and colonize stuff because there really aren't that many places left to colonize. You've either got to take colonies off people in a friendly fashion by trading for them, which happens, or you've got to go and take them with military force. That's a completely different game to starting everybody's pre-warp, you know? Because I think that's yeah. part of one of the reasons why people think it's like, oh, it, the, the early game's too slow. It's like, well, change the settings then because it's a, this is the whole point of the game. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like, I find that um, I know that I found that I thought that it shouldn't have been pre warp. Uh, I, I don't think it should have been the default. I know that a lot of purists love playing it that way. Like, people who enjoy playing the game enjoy the meandering start, like, you know, where you sort of, where you sort of you know, eventually sort of grow to what you want wanting to be. But for me, even if I'm playing a pre warp start, I tend to put everything on automation and then go and do something else for an hour or two. And then come back and, and look look at where it is at that point because at that stage it's all been fleshed out. But I'm very much like you. I I don't I tend to now start always with a bit higher tech, not not massively higher. I find that once you go to tech three or more, it's it's too much. <clears throat> but sort of tech one or two works fairly well in my my opinion. Tech one is probably my favourite start uh, for everyone on tech one. It gives you enough to sort of be moving around and doing things. Tech two is probably also okay, but te- yeah, tech three, I find it just gets a bit crazy. Like there's just, you, you've then got all of your um, colonization techs uh, at that at tech level three. So it's sort of, um, but I do find that the different ways of starting the game, also the, the fact that you don't have to have random, like you, you can actually really, really personalize the start, um, like where the actual factions are as well. I think that's really, really interesting as well. So yeah, there's certainly so many different ways of setting the game up. I had suggested in beta actually that they actually have a, some like almost scenarios presets that people can either like save them their own or just load them in. And I think that that would still be a great idea for people so that they actually had like different sorts of presets for those sorts of starts. That's a lovely idea. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I actually did what I actually followed that guide, Ben. But the problem I faced, of course, it was quite early on, was the performance because you picked like a really large map. So my current playthrough, I've taken that that idea and I've played. I'm playing it on a smaller map. But uh, to that point, I mean, this is the beauty of Distant Worlds. I think a lot of new newer players have missed is that you can tailor the galaxy to exactly how you want to play the game. If the game's going slow, you can change that with the thing or if, if you're going too fast it gives you so much options on setting up the the game is that you can tweak it perfectly to the game you want to play and not only that is you may want to play one way in one game but if you're playing a different race you might want to challenge yourself in another way 
and the Galaxy, the game setup options allow you to do that. I think this this kind of really needs to be pushed by Codeforce as one of the main selling points, even more than the automation, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just, it was really cool because like when I, I set up this most recent game, like I said, I had one neighbor who was like a mor- the Mortalin and I set the game right because I knew that it would be really hard me starting with just one pre-warp colony amongst the galaxy where people have got, you know, as a few of them have even got tech five on an old galaxy, you know, sorry, on an old empire, which is huge. So I set myself with just one neighbor who was friendly and that turned out to be a Mortalin. And I was like, that's great because if I can get an, a, a migration treaty with those guys, I can use Mortalin troops and they're so strong. And, you know, I, and it just got me thinking, it's like, if you can make that game so hard or you can make it like the initial starting conditions incredibly difficult, but give yourself, you know, like a little boost by, you know, give, giving yourself one ally who's very strong or you can set it up so that there's teams because you can set you can actually set who you're allied with at the start of the game and who you're at war with. And you can do it all while still leaving, you know, the race uh, as random. So it's it's just it's such a great forward way, forward thinking way of making a you know a sandbox strategy game. They've absolutely nailed it in that respect. And I, I just hope that they add more options because I think more options are better with a game like this, without a doubt. Yeah, my current game, funnily enough, I started with um, a Moreland uh, independent colony in my system. And the Moorlands were close to me. I think they were like, I can't remember whether they were Tech 1 or Tech 2, and I was pre-warp. So they managed to um, get that Moorland independent colony onto their side. And suddenly my system was under their colour, and I was immediately at war with them. <laughs> so it's just, it's just made such a really interesting, uh, really interesting challenge for myself to fight back from that. I, I got that very similar um, with the diet commonly, you know, the spiders. And um, so I had a human empire who were kind of hostile to me. And I had this diet uh, planet in my home system. And the humans came in and they took it away. You know, they just colonized it, you know, like really unfriendly behavior. But I, what I did was like, because I was quite, I'd been trading texts with people and I'd, I'd, I'd really invested in my research. I actually went to the humans and they, they offered me the planet back. And I swapped it for some for some technologies and a load of those. You, this is a bit overpowered, and I think they'll they'll eventually change it. But you know, when you find these galaxy galactic kind of secrets, I sold them a bunch of those and some technologies, and I actually managed to, to trade them for this planet. And for a start, if I was play, that was as the Mercantile Guild with the Harkonish, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was playing feudalism. So it just made me think, wow, this is, I've just, they've just done this really terrible diplomatic faux pas by colonizing that planet. And yet they were happy to trade it back with me. And that actually increased my relationship with the humans as well. So they just kind of wanted the money and the tech. Yeah, it's just a great game. Yeah, that's amazing. Guys, I think we're going to wrap up at this point. Um, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say um, about Distant Worlds before we wrap up? I think oh, we've sorry. been sounding pretty negative, a bit, like more negative than... Like than what we well that's certainly my my thing. I, this is by far the best game that's come out in the last year or so for me. So I just wanted to reiterate: if people are listening to this one, I love the game. I fully endorse the game. I would I would re- highly recommend it to people. There are a few little things that will be changed with the game, and I'm looking forward to them as well. But so yeah, it's it's it maybe I'm just worried I may have come across more negatively about the game than than what I really feel about it. This is definitely one of my favourite games. So. Um, I guess we are looking at it more critically now that we're sort of into this phase of the game, but that's which I think is healthy. But uh, I did want to just let people know that it's not a we're not I'm not slamming the game when I am criticizing it. 
Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, yeah, there are issues, but I do love the game. And I think Cove Force have set themselves up to... They've got a good foundation here. Once all the bugs are out of the way, then they can start building on this foundation. And, you know, this will be the game for the next 10 years, you know, <laughs> which Distant Worlds Universe has been for a lot of us for the past 10 years. So I think they've they've got themselves into a good position. And I just hope a lot of these um, newer players sort of are patient enough for this because, you know, some a lot of criticisms... I think people think that the team is, you know, like a paradox team or something. This is two guys who have achieved this. Basically, well, and one, one, only one of those guys is doing the programming. So, you know, the fact that Elliot has managed to do, what, three or four patches, maybe four or five patches in, within the week is pretty amazing for like a single coder. You know, sometimes Stellaris has issues for like six months or something like that we are negative but i i do love the game and i think it's going to be the the perfect platform for them to expand on in the future yeah i think once they've they've got to focus on getting the game working reliably for everybody and it's this is the same criticism as we were giving about warhammer 3 isn't it it's like they can't really make any new content for it until they've got the game working for everybody because otherwise that's going to be really on you know it's not fair on people they've paid money for a game they need to get it working but like you say, they've, they've banged out five patches in the last week and they've not slept, <laughs> you know, like and they, they're not even really replying to stuff on the beta testing stuff, you know, with people who are helping the beta testing very much because they're, they're just banging these patches out. And I think like Drexy said, it's a firm foundation for a new a new franchise. And I mean, hell, the crash bugs aside, this is released in a decent state. My point that I think Code Force really felt that this was a game that was releasable is fair. Um, you know, I think they under, what they their, their only mistake is I think that they've not got a diverse enough set of computer systems in their testing. Maybe they need more QA. Um, I, I don't know. I think I think Marco kind of was talking about this in the latest tea time with Slytherin, saying that they've learned a few lessons. I think from the release of Distant Worlds too. But I mean, look, it's according to Marco, it's their biggest. I, th- I think if I'm reading what right what he said in that blog update that he did. I think yeah. it's like their biggest selling game that they've had yet. One, one I mean, thing about that is I'm, I hope that not there hasn't been a lot of refunds after that, though. That's the only thing I'm worried. But yeah, he said that it's been by far their biggest selling game on, release on Steam. So, yeah. Yeah, it's clearly done well. And the reviews are, I think, are mostly positive. I mean, it was like, third globally for like 24 hours, maybe, or close yeah, enough massive. to it. The, the only the only other game that Slytherin have done that has anywhere near performed like that is Gladius, and you know Glad- Gladius is also done really well in that respect, I think. But it sounds like Distant World's smashing it, and you have to be careful looking at forums because you really, if like I've spent quite a long time on the forums trying to help people out on Steam recently, and it's it's like being a paramedic or something. Like it's so depressing. Like you know, you, you see ho- you just see a horror show every day. <laughs> <laughs> on steam yeah it's like you've, you've got to take a break from it man you, you need counseling for a bit because it's so and it's the same few people as well well imagine I'm if you're to, the developer eric has got the patience of a saint what i'm trying to say is that when you hang out on the forums for long enough there is a lot of criticism of the game but it's a minority of players who are doing it and the, the vast majority of people who are unhappy with the game are giving really good feedback 
and I hope the developers are watching it um, because yeah, I think though that it, like it is, it's a shame that the that there are so many people that are having troubles with the game. I mean, it sort of it reminds me there was a game, and again, I'm just having a look through the um, through my library to try to find it. It was um, like it wasn't called Storm of the Stars. I forget what it was. It was. Um, a game that they they came out with a like a version three of it, and it ended up being just a shockingly bad, like very buggy release. And so I hope that there's enough people who can at least play this game that we don't end up with a Start situation. Like Space that. Genesis was it? No, no, no. It was it was. I'm just trying to looking through my games now. It's, it was sort of a, like Master of Orion three when it when it launched. The reason that that was a problem was because the actual game mechanics were nothing like what you expect from from um, Master of Orion, and that's not the case with Distant Worlds. Distant Worlds two is definitely a Distant Worlds type game. It's, it's like yes, I thought it was like Storm of the Stars or something like this. It was a real like the first games were really really highly you know respected, and then Sword they brought Stars up the, two. Was it Sword Which of the Stars? Sword of the Stars too. Sword of the Stars. Yeah. Yeah, that and was notorious. When they, brought, when they brought that one out, it was the mechanics and everything were were sound, but the actual bugs in it destroyed that game. And absolutely, like they never got back from it. And that's why, you know, I think that like I don't think we're in that sort of category. But that's that's how how bad a, a launch can be. Like I think that's about as bad as the launch as I've seen of a game that was so highly anticipated. And I don't think we're there with Distant Worlds. I think Distant Worlds is uh, certainly I haven't had the problems that, that people have been expecting. But yeah, Sword of the Stars was was um, yeah shockingly. Yeah, that's that's um, the whole can of worms. I mean, the bit the other problem with that is the relationship between them and Paradox, who released it, pretty much immediately broke down. And uh, yeah, what it was is Paradox said we give you one year to fix it, and then kicked them out almost. So it's like yeah, because I love Sword of the Stars one. And yeah, Sword of the Stars yeah. 2 was such a pain for me. Oh, God. I don't think Distant Worlds 2 is in, in any danger whatsoever of losing all its players and disappearing. I, it's too big. People have been saying it about Warhammer 3 because that's had a shaky release and people, the fans are really not happy about the way that the game is. And, you know, I've, I've seen a few people going, oh, I'm really worried because maybe, you know, Creative Assembly will drop the game because nobody's playing it. No, that's not going to happen. It's just too big. People who aren't happy with it will just not play it for a few weeks and a few months. They'll come back when they see that everyone else is playing it. So yeah, it's yeah. a shame because you lose that you lose that kind of tidal wave of players that every developer wants to have. Like you know, look at I don't know if you know anything about, about Elden Ring, but Elden Ring had nearly a million players on Steam, and that really that was kind of buggy. I couldn't play that on the second patch. The second patch broke it for me, and it's one that I play with the misses. I, I don't tend to play RPGs or you know action games that much on my own. I tend to play them with my girlfriend and. The release of Elden Ring was shaky as well, but man, I mean that game's amazing now. It's absolutely brilliant. So like people were people were saying that on Steam. Then they're like, "Oh no, it's it's been so bad. All the players are going to disappear." It's like, no man, it's going to be fine. And I think it's the same with Distant Worlds too. It's people know that there's a, the, the foundations of a great game in there, and what is there already, providing it works okay for you, is great already, and it's only going to get better. It's just there's just little everyone's going to have little niggles about the game some people have got bigger niggles than others but you know it's just how it is yeah i don't think we're in that same sort of the stars two category it's um actually i'm just on the steam page now to have a look and the, yeah they they had to bring out like years later an enhanced version an enhanced edition they had to try to do another relaunch afterwards so wow. uh, there you yeah. go you know it's sort of it's um and uh, i remember at the time i was so looking forward to that and it, yeah, it was so disappointing. Um, Drexy the actual wanted that one, didn't he? I think Drexy's told. Yeah, told it never got fixed, and 
if even to today, if anyone sort of asks for it to be fixed or, you know, more modern support, one side would say, go and talk to the other side, and you go and talk to that side, and they say, no, it's not our problem, go talk to the other guys. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah. it's such, it's really bitter between the two. So, and it ended up, yeah, just... Oh. Say, Kerberos was put under a lot of pressure to, to get it out uh, by Paradox, and they did the same thing with Warlock as well. Like, the Warlock games were, were, were launched way, way too early. So they, they they could have been incredibly good games, but they just it was the pressure, I guess, from Paradox. Warlock uh, is great though. Well, have you played that recently, Daz, with the Renaissance mod? It's actually a dead yeah, good game. Uh, one of my favourite games, but the actual base game itself is shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never played it without anything. I, I I immediately just bought all the DLC and got the Rena- Renaissance mod because I heard that it was so good, and I wasn't disappointed. I think it's. I haven't played it that much, but it's it's clearly a good game. Like I can That's tell it's awesome. Soon. With yeah, the, re- yeah. the Renaissance mod in in Warlock Two fixes as many problems as it possibly can, but the base game itself is so frustrating. Yeah, it's, and it's again it, that was a game that should have just had a few more, probably a few more months in the oven before it was released. When you have a game like that that isn't really good enough. There's no coming back for a version three, you know, like, and it's sort of, um, you know, that's the end of it, really. Yeah. And it's just a shame that, um, that they just didn't have enough time. Like, and same with um, sort of the stars, too, you know, like it's, it gets pushed out. Everyone's hyping it up because they're, um, because, you know, they're basically they've put so much effort into it and then it's disappointing. And, and in the end, everyone, everyone loses by that. Star Drive 2 is another one, isn't it? That was kind of a little bit like that. Well, guys, um, let's wrap this up. Thanks for coming on the podcast and having a chat with with us about games again. And everyone's dead excited about Distant Worlds 2, I think. And, you know, mixed in amongst some disappointment. But we all know that it's going to be one of those things that it's just going to get better and better. I'm pretty sure I wasn't around for this because I wasn't playing games at the time. But I heard that the, the release of Distant Worlds, in fact, Rob told me this, he said he didn't like Distant Worlds at all when it first released. And it wasn't until they'd patched it and patched it and released a couple of DLCs. I think, yeah, actually. after the first expansion, it started to get interesting. Yeah, right. So, I mean, and this, this game's way, uh, it's way better than that, at least yeah. by the sounds of it. So, unfortunately, Eric's had to go uh, prematurely. So, we're going to have to pretend that he's, he's, got, he's saying goodbye. But thanks, Daz. Cheers Bye, for joining guys. us, man. This is Eric. <laughs> Bye, guys. See you, Eric. Bye, you, Eric. You're wrong about everything, Dad. What the fuck is that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks See for you joining later, us. Thanks. It's yeah. always fun doing these. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Always, mate. And uh, thanks, Drexy. It's always good fun to do these. <laughs> yeah, cheers, guys. <laughs> Crikey. This was Ben, Daz, Eric, and Drexy for Explominate. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next time. Keep exploring. Thank you.